Welcome to episode 127 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Langer, joined this week by Paul Noonan and Brad Ford. Guys, how's your weekend been? Uh, hectic. Um, but on the plus side, I've, so I've been traveling like crazy for the past couple weeks, and i got to do more um, shortly. And I, I don't sleep well on the road, so this has just been a good weekend to actually get back to normal. And uh, <laughs> happy for that. I feel better now than I have for about two weeks, so... Yay. Yeah. I'm on day three of a four day weekend and I haven't done much and it's been great. So complete that's, opposite, I suppose. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's nice. the best best four day weekend though, is to just do nothing, you know? Right. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, my kids have off for President's Day, but I do not. So um uh, it, it will it will be a rough uh, one tomorrow too. Monday is a holiday. Yep. I, I forget that in the industry I work in. I don't really get holidays. So you yeah, know <laughs> they're they're a fiction to you. Yeah. How's your exactly. weekend, James? Oh, not too bad. I actually uh, took a little day trip down to Milwaukee this weekend. Just got back a few hours ago, so that was nice. Just walking around town, nothing really special, but, you know, just cool. hanging out. So it was good. Good to be back, though. Um, and happy to jump right into this. So as always, you can help people find our podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also help support our podcast network at patreon.com slash tailgate. Our ball and glove and above patrons get the monthly minor league extra podcast with Ryan and Brad, as well as Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods throughout the Packers offseason. You also get a shout out here on the podcast when you become a patron and you get question priority when we get to this week's questions. As always, we are sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know, they're great beers, including Dragon Flute, Block Party and the flagship Fantasy Factory. And you know, if Fantasy Factory is good, Double Fantasy Factory is twice as good, right? You can now pick up a six-pack of that at their tap room on Kinsman Boulevard on Madison's East Side. You can also get a deal on Carbon 4 merch online using our promo code MKETailgate at Carbon4.com. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. I like a good double IPA. I actually yeah. like them better than regular IPAs. I, yeah, um, same here. I don't get it. I think <laughs> Why does more make it better? I actually I, I have a theory but i'm not sure on this because it should be like more bitter like it's just more hops for the most part um right. I, I think they take extra steps to kind of balance it out a lot of the good ones have almost a creamy like texture to them which mm. I, I like a lot texture wise a lot of normal ipas are just kind of normal beers with a ton of bitterness to them so i think a little thicker takes a little bit of the cutoff but um yeah that's a it's a good style i'm a fan yeah you know i'm not usually an ipa guy either but you know i dig fantasy factory i'm actually drinking one right now yeah, nice. uh free plug um but you know I, I i don't know if i would be able to do the double ipa but maybe you know i gotta give it a shot check it out sometime. i say try it out because double ipas were actually what made it so i could drink normal ipas because, <laughs> uh, like kinda... the double ipa was so good i was like maybe i've given the ipas a bad rep and now as long as it's not the piney ipa it's pretty good Working backwards like a good crafty pitcher, That's like right. hey Brent Suter, who uh, just avoided arbitration. That is a heck of a um, transition. Well done. You know, where I specialize on the segues here. So, um, you know, one of the big topics of the conversation online over the weekend has been those two kind of uh, unresolved arbitration cases for the Brewers. Finally, got resolved this past weekend, as we mentioned. Mentioned Brent Suter. Avoiding his hearing, which was scheduled for another day or two here as we record this, he gets a two-year deal, so he avoids that process next year. But it was Josh Hader who actually went into that hearing and lost his case. He was looking for uh, what would have been a record $6.4 million for a first-year RB-eligible 
relief pitcher. Brewers countered with 4.1 million instead, and they won the case. Uh, that's you know, arbitration always leads to a lot <laughs> of hard feelings between both sides, and the reaction uh, was not filtered very much in the Brewers clubhouse. Um, I think Josh Hader called it a flawed and dated system. Craig Council went even further, calling it ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, so I know both of you guys have lots of opinions on this, especially Paul, given your background, but we'll start with Brad. Just how flawed is this arbitration ruling system and how badly did Josh Hader get screwed? I mean, he absolutely got screwed that you're looking at a system that relies on stats that are no longer really relevant in the game and never really have been relevant in the game. (laughs) Uh, You're looking at a save stat, which just means he happened to be last in a winning situation. So when you're comparing him to the pitchers who have had success in arbitration and relief, you know, of course, you look immediately at the record setter, which is Jonathan Papelbon, you know, has six and a quarter million in his first arbitration. uh, And the numbers line up pretty well. Yeah, he had a 184 ERA and 230 innings pitched, uh, but he had those 113 saves. You look at Hayter. 242 ERA in 204.2 innings. It's really close. Maybe not as good when you're looking at the just uh, results numbers, but definitely when you get into the peripheral, when you're looking at strikeouts per nine, walks per nine, uh, you're looking at your FIPS, your DRAs in a more complicated system, it's really easy to see that they were elite performers in their time. But instead, you look at this through a historical funnel that doesn't actually dictate you know how the game is played now which is very different you know josh Hader came in at a time when relief pitching changed hugely possibly because of the uh brewers and how craig council managed his bullpen um you look at the other side of the spectrum though and players who've been screwed in the past you go to Dellen batansis only tried to get five million in his situation um and he ended up with three million in his first year of arbitration, you know. And again, he was even closer to Papelbon than Hader was in terms of performance-related numbers: two point one six ERA, two hundred fifty-four point two inning pitched, but none of those precious, precious <laughs> saves. Only twenty-two of them. Uh, Hader, you know, middle of the pack, forty-nine. Um, and unfortunately, the system relies on those numbers that organizations aren't even using to measure results or success when they look at their own players. So you're looking at the organization that sets the bar using a system that the entire league figures finds to be antiquated, outdated, useless information when it comes to evaluating player performances, but it's what sets their salary rate. It's insane. The brewers are using Josh Hader in this way because it's how they get the best outcome for them to get the win for the night or for the long term and to win out in the season. And he's being punished because of that, because he's in a situation that is benefiting his team the most. It's insane. <laughs> it is right. insane. It's absolutely insane. And just both of you, if I ramble on too long on this, just stop me at some point. Um, oh, no, I'm going to grab my popcorn. It's yeah. fine. Um, gonna... We're about to be lawyered right now is so... what's going to happen. So, Paul, take it away. So the first thing I do want to mention here is that both the existence of arbitration and the use of traditional, let's call them traditional stats, to judge players are both things the players wanted. Um, I, and jo- I was talking about this on Twitter. John Judge was quick to correct me on that point last night, as, and he is correct about that. Um, arbitration itself came out of the fight the players had to get some leverage, some ver- version of free agency over some point in time, 
and it exists because they're locked down for salaries for the first six years of control, and um, it, it do- just doesn't make sense for the elite team to be able to completely lock them down for all six years. Arbitration is something the players won so that they would have some leverage in fighting for a higher salary during the control period, which used to be you know, everything. It, there used to be no free agency back in the day under the reserve system. Um, the, the counting stats thing is also a player preference, um, partially just a miscalculation by modern day standards, partially, um, it, it benefits guys who actually play more, uh, veterans, guys who are better at lobbying their union and have more control over these things. So that's partially how this got to be. Um, and, but at this point, the, the bizarre thing is the players union and the players themselves, even if they're not sophisticated, you know, on a person by person basis, they are as a group like they hire the same kinds of people major league baseball hires they know about war they're not idiots about this they know it exists and everybody has the ability to find the stats and whatnot to make themselves look the best so yeah this is antiquated and ridiculous part of it is just the fact that arbitrators um are not necessarily specialists in baseball now that obviously the ones they get to do this over and over again, have familiarity with baseball, but they're not necessarily going to be the most sophisticated people to be judging baseball. And in any case, they've been doing this for so long on the antiquated system, asking them to change at this point is tricky. So all that's just bad. Um, <clears throat> the Dylan Batanza's um, case is like the, the, the one that reflects Hater the most. He is He's the closest thing to Hater that's been out there. He's a multi-inning right. reliever fireman. He's outstanding. Like I've, I always want to sign him when he's a free agent and when he's out there. And the case that he had um, with the Yankees, it was the Yankees, right? The Yankees. Yes, was, it was the Yankees. You, super acrimonious. Um, it was definitely... It a, was ugly. It was very ugly. ugly. It was a concerted effort by the Players Union and Batances to set a new market for relief pitchers. Um, and the Yankees count, you know, counteractively uh, really trying to hold the line on that as much as possible. He, he is unquestionably one of the best relievers in baseball. He's the same kind of hater, high leverage guy, goes multiple innings at a time, has similar stuff. And when he's healthy, is as dominant as Josh Hader is uh, on a year-to-year basis. So um, this was a, a clear, um, clear instance of saves mattering a lot. Um, and by him losing that case... That's why Hader lost this case, frankly. Like it all, go, it all goes back to that. And it's why the owners fight so hard. If they lose that case, it does reset the market for a guy like Hader who probably gets that extra $2 million. Um, interestingly about him, I, I think uh, Raldis Chapman is a good comparison because he's also a Yankee um, at various times. And, you know, big save guy, also super dominant stuff back in the day. Um, there's a piece in Baseball Prospectus. Um, I will... I forgot who wrote it, and I apologize for that because I'm talking, but I'll put it in um, the, the episode recap so we give proper credit. But uh, <laughs> uh, Chapman, similar stuff, um, just more saves in, in the closer rule, ended up making about $18 million more over the reserve period than did Batances by virtue of getting those saves. And um, there's a few sites out there that project what people are going to do in arbitration with very high accuracy based on the stats that are available. That's almost exactly what they projected Batances lost by losing that one case that just reverberated over the next few years. It's 18 million bucks. It's a lot of money. Um, so, right. Yeah. So, so like the relief pitchers um, who do that work now are behind the eight ball a little bit. And teams, teams all know saves are kind of garbage at this point. Like, I, by the way, I still kind of think that LaRusse's creation of the closer had this in mind a little bit. Um, because it makes a star out of one guy in the bullpen. And, you know, it's easier to pay one guy and pay nobody else than it is to pay everybody right. kind of what they're worth. So n- don't put it by them. They've been smart for a long time. 
uh, anyway um yeah right arbitration is 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 bad across the board so um you, you may <laughs> notice just real, arbitration is a private legal system um you you are probably you've probably opted into many arbitration clause whenever you update apple whenever you um sign any minor contract we have to read fine print and that's what tells you it's bad right there big cor- big corporations like to get you to go they to arbitration it. yes wait right. wait 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 corporations want to take advantage of me yes well and they have they have the ability to they have a lot of power behind them so um the big but here's why i think not a, a lot of people understand why they want to go to arbitration there's two big reasons the first one is the whole setup of arbitration was created by big corporations to have an easier time, you know, not getting stuck in court for years and years at a huge cost. But there's a bigger one than that. Um, arbitration gets them out of a lot of stuff that they otherwise would have to go through when they get sued. The biggest one being it eliminates class certification. So um, if you've got a job that's ever asked you to opt into an arbitration provision for your employment, um, mm-hmm. what that's doing is preventing you from joining a class action employment later on because you are obligated to go into arbitration not the courts. Since you can't go into the courts, you can't be part of a class that sues the company at the end of the day. Um, so they play games like that with the arbitration system. Um, it It's always stacked against you. Um, almost nobody beats a big company in arbitration. It's just how it kind of works out. The, the rules are very strict in how things are construed, and companies know how to write rules to construe to them so that they always win. And even in baseball, where the, the, the players have a pretty strong side, they have a very strong union, they always have, they still lose sixty percent of the time in, in salary arbitration. So even more this year. Yeah, I think got, there's only one player that's won. There's <laughs> one player that's won. That's historically, and they're getting destroyed lately. Um, and if you if you just need to put a, a cherry on the top of this, you, when Ryan Braun um, beat the steroid suspension and that went to arbitration, he won, and he should have because uh, even though he would slagged on that guy kind of unnecessarily. Um, Dino, whatever. Uh, he also did mishandle that that evidence. He was not supposed to take it home. That was written down, clear as day. Um, that's a procedural mis- thing that that should have been thrown out for. Um, but Major League Baseball fired that arbitrator who right. who ruled in favor of Ryan Braun. Like that's what you're and, looking at. If and then launched a gigantic investigation right. to get Ryan Braun suspended. Correct. And then <laughs> yeah, then they won anyway. So that's what you're right. looking at here. Like they're happy to have the players win a few. Give them some scraps, make the system look legitimate. But right. in the grand scheme of things, this whole system exists to keep the reserve part of player salaries there, to keep salaries down, and when push comes to shove, to do what Major League Baseball wants. Um, so. Right. And yeah. another part of this End too. Of rant. <laughs> I can get you on a on a side rant here, maybe too. Another part of this is just like with a lot of legal things, it's based on precedent, right? So. Um, That's why of course, the contents directly affects hater. Yes. So every, right. when you go in there, it is basically just it's basically a formula. They look at a few parts of your game that compare you to similar people and what they made in arbitration. Now. That's also ridiculous because we have market pricing for these people in free right. agency. We know what they should be making. It's ridiculous that it's restricted to what they've made in arbitration before. It's totally, it's just made up. Like, <laughs> right. And right. you're comparing like Hater's record asking price for uh, to Papel Bonds, which was made in 2009. Yeah, that's 11 right. years ago. Without regard for inflation or, or increased yep. revenues or anything like that. Um, it is... It's its own right. weird, dumb math that is, has no connection to reality at all. Right. So as much as it, it's the decisions they're making are tied to previous decisions, also it's 
within the clubs and the league's best interest not to set that new precedent, which is why Batanzas tried to push for that. Exactly. Why Hater probably pushed for that. Um, they're trying to set this new precedent. They know how the system works too. Everybody thinks the system sucks, but they're trying to push it to what they need it to do. Yes. And Batanzas had the better record to do it than Hater. Hater, of course, is punished because he's a uh, um, you know going into ARB in his third year versus his fourth year. So sure. by being a Super Two player, you know he has <laughs> less of a track record, which is going to ding him unfairly and unjustifiably. Yes, that's um, it. You where you're looking at Batanzas, who had his 250 innings and a 1.93 ERA in the three seasons where he actually had a full season, um, and he was way better suited except for you know at least hater in his second season of pro ball was a quote unquote closer uh where you know you didn't have that with patances he just had the right. odd save here and there yeah. and nobody right. really likes this like the, the owners uh, they don't like going into a hearing and throwing dirt on a guy either uh, uh, right they don't i mean they do have a belt for it they do have a belt for it, though, right? They have a right? belt for it. For That's the, true. So they're going to yeah. anything competitive. They're going to do stuff like that. So what they want isn't better. What they want is like the reserve clause back full time for six years or longer. Um, and you know what the players would obviously like is just free agency earlier or you know with, with no draft at all and, every year. Yeah, yeah sure. I know. I know. Like to a lot of Americans, that sounds insane. But m- most sports in the world operate without a draft or without any kind of reserve. Um, period at all and they'll run fine so um th- this is just for the benefit of rich people and um the, the richer people i should say and since baseball well, players are rich too um yeah and in a time when you're looking at you know players getting punished for being old you know like you are a free agent because you generally don't lead the minors until 25 26 on average so by the time you're entering free agency you're on the wrong side of 30 um, unless you're someone like a Manny Machado, a Mookie Betts. And because of that, you end up getting punished because we know that there is a decline in performance after 30 yep. for a majority right. of players, not universally, but it's more likely than it's not that your performance is going to see a sharp decline yeah. at that age point. That's kind of why this has come to a head, too, with, with steroids being, I think, um, really cramped down on. I mean, guys were obviously having huge seasons a while ago when they were getting in their you know 40s even. And that just doesn't happen anymore. The The prime for players used to be 27. It's more like 23, 24 now for most players, which is, you know, right after they enter baseball. Um, it's, right. it's kind of downhill very quickly when you start to hit 27. So um, their prime earning time is now completely dominated by the owners. Whatever they used to be able to rake in by being Barry Bonds later in their careers is, is pretty much gone. Uh, and that's... Uh, players are not, not stupid. It, this is going to one of the things that's likely just to lead to a strike. That earning balance is really off now. That's why 140 games, four years of uh, team control, get rid of arbitration, just have it as a stack tier. We're good. I fixed it. I fixed baseball. Commissioner Brad Ford, everybody. <laughs> Take that, Manfred. Uh, well, I know I'd be better, and I don't yeah. say that a lot about I, people who are much higher positions than me. I have He's all awful. the faith in the world in you, but admittedly, that bar is not high yeah. to be better than Madford. So. Well, it's just that, you know, we all obviously love Seelig for different reasons than hey, while the rest of the world hates him. We don't really love him for his commissionership, but he brought a team to Milwaukee, so yeah. we all love him for that and forgive him a little bit more. But sure. to miss him as bad as I now miss him as the head of baseball is such an odd feeling. It's weird. It's, 
Bud yeah. actually liked baseball, like, and you know, he's right. alive, still likes baseball. He actually is a fan of baseball. Like, you you don't get the <laughs> sense Rob Manfred is a fan of anything other than just running a corporation, which right. And you know, as as much as the caricature of Bud as commissioner was, he couldn't get out of his own way. Yep. Like Manfred has surpassed that by miles, and somehow has come off as more of a buffoon than Bud ever did as commissioner. <laughs> Well, you know, like he, everyone hated. He have the shrug, and everybody says the shrug like, reaction well, at Bud, the All Star game. Yeah, but, yeah. Like, well, Bud lost. Bud lost a World Series. Well, it's early, so let's not sleep. Let's right. not. Let's not write the book on Manfred yet. That might Manfred's still gonna happen. lose Yelich's last year in Milwaukee, so I mean, that's fine. Bud. Bud did so many bad things. Uh, you know, uh, to me, the biggest sin is allowing the steroid. Uh, used to happen so rampantly, and then being like, "Oh, oh, oh what? Steroids are a thing. We have to crack down on this." Uh, and then punishing players for an environment that you built—that for me is the biggest sin. But then, like, you have those people who are still mad at him about allowing the wild card to be a thing, and here comes Rob Manfred, seven playoff teams, a week off of baseball. When <laughs> if a team wins out their three-game series, they're generally screwed because they get a week off of baseball. You're going to give the number one team a week off baseball. Oh god, the guy's just a headache. <laughs> We, anyway, we have, we have a lot Patreon more questions. <laughs> <laughs> we do have uh, we can get more into the Manfred hate in a little bit. We're going to talk about some of those rule changes and whether or not they're just kind of made to to stick it to the brewers or not. Um, if we want to get into Brad's conspiracy corner later, we can do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we do have a Patreon question on this uh, Josh Hader arbitration case. So uh, Brian Polakowski is asking with haters are settled in the club's favor. Is he now seen as more valuable to keep or to trade? Paul, you can take this away at first. Uh, I mean, he's he's more valuable, which is a weird thing to say when you lose arbitration, but he costs less. So um, the answer is he's more valuable for both of those things. Uh, you can you could theoretically at, turn that two million dollars into an upgrade somewhere, um, but he's certainly a more attractive trade ship at uh, you know trade ship at that price too. Um, given that you're not going to spend that two million dollars upgrading the roster probably technically a more valuable trade ship than he is keeping on the roster um but uh, pocketing that cash is probably what's going to happen um but uh, for the team it's a good thing that they're not paying as much just worse for hater um so sure. it, it, this is a this is a year where they're at least somewhat likely to trade him so i'll go trade ship on that um just because he's going to pitch the same regardless of what he's paid um probably Oh, I sure. go opposite. Yeah, I right. go. I think he's more likely to stay on the team because they love getting surplus value. Yeah, they want the money pocketed. Absolutely, we as we've seen. But there's nothing better than paying the best reliever in baseball four million dollars and just sitting there and getting that WAR per dollar rating way up for uh, David Stearns. And then afterwards, he has another great season. Trade yep. him, and then when, as he gets more expensive, you don't have to worry about it. By the way, sure. but when Batats is lost, he was kind of a malcontent about it and made a lot of noise about he w he wouldn't pitch other than save situations after that since it didn't get him paid. So mm -hmm. just back your mind, keep that keep that there in sure. in case Hater is he doesn't seem that mad about it. His comments were actually pretty reserved, but uh, I, I could I could see potentially that having a similar impact on him. I right. think maybe, it, yeah, maybe oh, it's ahead. more of an issue in uh, year two, yeah. right? Because you know. He, it's hard for Josh to get too mad about, you know, going from what, 500,000 to 4 million. Yes. Like that's still pretty it's solid a for a guy, guess. you know? Um, but I think, you know, to 
the Patanzas case, it, it does have that cascading effect. Like Paul, you mentioned, it's $18 million over the next three or four years, yes. right? Like that's a ton. Um, I don't know. And, you know, maybe the fact that this number came in lower, maybe that gets the Brewers another year of Josh Hader before they seriously start yeah, to maybe. think about trading him, you know, as opposed to after this season, maybe it's after next, you know, it, it kind of depends on where their finances sit. I mean, they're not yep. going to have a whole lot of financial obligation after this year anyway. So, you know, maybe that translates into another year of Josh Hader, which, yep, maybe you so. know, maybe he's making six next year and that doesn't look so bad. Exactly. As opposed to 10 or whatever yep. that number is that kind of forces the Brewers to, to think about moving on. Um, so, you know, that, that was also, I think it's kind of weird that, uh, these arbitration cases were being settled as these guys are already in camp, yeah, right? Like it, they go into camp and they weird, don't know right? what they're making. It hasn't always been this late, has it? I don't recall it being this way. And, you know, maybe somebody can correct us if we're wrong, but I, I would think that both sides want to want to get this resolved before they show up to camp. Right. Like I don't, it's just a really awkward situation. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like they're always done before camp. And like, if, uh, if Suter would have actually gone through with it, like, his hearing would be happening in camp, which is right. really, really, really weird. So, yeah, sorry, coach, I got to duck out for six hours to, to hear about on. why I yeah. suck. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's just another weird situation. But you know, at least everybody said their piece over the weekend. They seem to be fine. They're moving forward. Um, and as we mentioned, they are in camp now. And you know, aside from best shape of his life stories, the second best thing about spring training is pitcher redemption stories. And we might have one with Corbin Burns this year. Uh, he showed up to camp over the weekend. He says he's kind of reworked his entire pitching philosophy, ditching the fastball that got crushed for so many home runs last year, <laughs> uh, deciding to refocus on his slider, which is actually his best pitch, probably one of the best pitches in baseball, right? Um, at least in terms of sliders. So, um, you know, there is some optimism there. Um, Brad, what do you think about this change? Do you think it's going to lead to to more success for Corbin Burns or is that yet to be seen? You'd hope so, but uh, you know, if you're a starting pitcher who's throwing the slider that much, I'm not really sure you can really rely on that to be your setup pitch and you're still going to have to throw the fastball. The problem was you throwing the fastball at the bottom of the zone when everyone else knows that the fastball type you are throwing needs to be at the top of the zone. And I get you're throwing it there because that's where you're going to put your slider, but you're putting your slider and your fastball all in the same place. So the slider was still getting hit. It was worth 4.4, you know, total weighted runs, which was beneficial compared to the negative 18 you have for the fastball, which is, but you still need to work around the other things that are causing you to fail. Um, you know, yes, I think this will make him more effective, but Overall, like if you don't fix the thing that is the biggest hurdle for you and the biggest issue, which is where you're putting your fastball, you have good location. We know you can put it where you want to. You're just not doing that. And I don't know if it's, do the Brewers have something that we don't? I mean, organizations are smarter than we are. Um, what we see and what they're working on, what they're experimenting with, where they see the game going, how they see effectiveness playing out with a high spin fastball rate, it's... Things I believe that we aren't really able to regularly view that the average person or even person who's fairly studied on these things can't really pick up. But we know that, you know, the most comparable fastball in terms of spin rate is you look at a Jacob deGrom and 
he how does he find success with it? He pounds the top of the zone with it. Right. And here's Corbin Burns pounding the lower corners and getting it smashed. So if he doesn't fix that, it doesn't matter if you up your slider usage by another 5 or even 10%. You're still going to be throwing fastballs 40% of the time, and you're still going to have issues getting hit up if you're not locating it where it can be the most effective. Yeah, that, that fastball yeah. is the most annoying pitch in baseball for me. It uh, He like always leads the league in spin rate on it, but it is a perfect spiral. It is like, that You don't want that when you're a pitcher. It <laughs> it, uh, it is perfectly straight. It's a huge meatball because it's perfectly straight. And it's one of those things where, like, if you just changed, like, just like a little tiny, like, 0.01% release angle on it with that spin, it would break like crazy one way or the other, and he'd have a moving fastball that was much harder to hit. But he, he doesn't, and for that reason, it is just one of the easiest pitches to hit in baseball, as we saw last year, uh, and doesn't play with his slider at all. It, it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a mess. And I'm glad he's working his philosophy. Hopefully that is just in location. But I'd like to see... I'd like to see that fastball work out a little mechanically too, because it look it looks like there's so much potential there with its speed and spin rate, and it, it's just like a little tiny quirk should make it a much better pitch, and just not there. So I, I, I kind of wish they'd mentioned that along with um, how he goes about pitching too. And I, I'm still hopeful, like he should have good stuff. He should be a good pitcher. Right. <laughs> still hopeful that he'll turn into one. Um, right. I, I just I don't like it when I see guys with obvious flaws like pounding the bottom of the zone. That don't fix, don't get fixed like midseason, like right away. It's just don't throw just, it there. Just stop. It's, it's not like you yeah. have to go to the pen and just yell, stop it at the TV. You're not yeah. Trevor Bauer with his Edgertronic for 10,000 pitches in the offseason <laughs> fixing it. Just don't throw the pitch there anymore. Like, this is not rocket science. Right. And you go down to the Brewers, a special pitching lab, and right. you spend that time, but you come back yeah. up and it's still broken. Now I'm supposed to believe that I do think part of it, eventually he was just dealing with the mental aspect of the game where it felt like no matter he where he was throwing, it was going to get sure. pounded and was the end result. I <laughs> yes, do indeed. believe that that weighs on pitchers. Right. Um, so hopefully getting a little bit more mentally healthy in the offseason did help him with that. But at the same time, like you went to the Magic Fix-It lab and it did nothing. You still had yeah. the same problem. Like, so, I can't find a lot of confidence in this. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's something that he just needed more time at that, you know, mythological pitching lab to figure out, the, you know, the same one that's going to make Shelby Miller good again. Oh, goodness. Um, Let's not do that. <laughs> but uh, I'm a, uh, why am I excited about Shelby Miller? Why are you? You shouldn't be. He's just because guy. he is in the best shape of his life. He lost 35 pounds in the offseason. He posted a video on Twitter and his pitch movement looked a lot better than it did last season. And that got me really excited. And it shouldn't because it's in a controlled situation where things don't matter. And. This year's Wade Miley. Look, calling it now. No, he's he's not. He's Justin Smoke pitcher, and like all, all the all the best shape of his life things about him are bad. Like he's down for like forty pounds. Like that's not good. That's terrible. Like that, that's a red flag. That's not a good thing. Um, you had forty pounds to lose. Like as a professional athlete, bad, not good. Um, all right, I'm not excited so about. Shelby Miller's if he if he works out, yay, great, fine. But man, cool. so not excited about him. It's it it'll make or break that magic pitching lab, you know? If if that <laughs> works out, suddenly the Brewers have something. Uh <laughs> so all of that was kind of uh based off a Patreon question from Jay Google, we should mention. He thought he wanted to know our thoughts on Burns remaking himself mentally and physically. And you know, I have to admit that I am still kind of a hopeless romantic when it comes to Corbin Burns. I was so excited 
for him last year. I was at his first career start where he struck out like the first nine or ten guys yep. he saw. That was awesome. I think Paul, you were there I was too. Also we there. talked. We we, we talked about that. That was awesome. And then you know that damn fastball in the bottom of the zone got goldschmitted, and he was broken from that point. Yep, but you know, it's <laughs> I I just have all the confidence in the world that he'll bounce back with the caveat that I also had all the confidence in the world that Manny Parra was going to be the next ace. And, you know, he also had a fastball that was straight as hell and that didn't yeah. work out. So, Well, the thing with Burns is he still absolutely has the tools to be very, very good. Um, so like, I still believe that he has the potential to be a net positive for the Brewers as a player. It's just that I don't believe that, now I'm going to throw my slider more is the fix that they need. He needs to go through an entire change of how he's attacking the hitters in general, not just setting up that slider. So sure. that's what needs to get fixed. Actually, a, I think that works pretty well if you're a bullpen guy, but not if you're a starter. Um, like a lot often right. bullpen guy can be fixed by three best pitch more. You dope. Um, but like right. starters just have to mix and match so much more that you can't hide that fastball. It's just not going to happen. So. And it's location yeah. and it's all of that, too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's fun to dream. And if he can be a solid mid rotation starter, suddenly, you know, we feel a lot better about the Brewers coming <laughs> into the next year. Uh Pakoda, we talked about this for a couple of weeks now. Uh, last week we recorded this before the team projections came out, so we're going to get to it now. Uh, Pakoda does not like the Brewers. Well, we kind of knew this was coming. Kind of likes the Brewers. Likes eh, more. Kind of likes it more than I thought it was going to. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, Paul, your your uh, guesstimation was was a lot more dismal, kind of based on the individual uh, yep. numbers there, uh, but. As it stands, they kind of they pegged the most likely outcome for the Brewers, and I think that's important to mention too. It's not the stone cold projection of seventy nine wins; it's just the most likely outcome. Um, they they pe- pegged them for seventy nine wins in fourth place in the Central. Cincinnati, our favorite, are the Reds good yet? Pakoda says right they are. Pakoda uh, <laughs> is projecting them to take first with only 86 wins. The Cubs second with 85. St. Louis Cardinals also maybe kind of a disappointing 80 wins. Um, did, did the Cardinals get worse? They lost Ozuna, but did they get worse aside from that? I mean, the offense is not going to be good, I think is Pakoda's problem with yeah, them. Yeah, I think that's it mainly. Um, and, and the pitching's kind of iffy and beyond um, Flaherty. Behind Flaherty, you yeah. don't really know what you're going to get. I think I saw today Miles Mikolas already has elbow problems uh, after throwing a bullpen. So, you know, if he goes down, they're screwed. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Paul, does does this feel about right? I know you you said you were thinking even lower. So yeah. it is there room for optimism for you here? Sure. I mean, this is, I do think that's probably about right. And it was really, Picota on the central is kind of just a big throw up your shoulders and shrug. Um, it, it's always right. like, if you, if you, it's always good to follow Harry Pavlides, like after Picota comes out, who is, who's always stuck getting yelled at by whatever teams it hates. Um, oh man, Braves feathers were vicious this year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I hates the Braves. But he always contextualized it well too. He had to do it last year when the Cubs had a low projection and like, right. it's like, you know, it's first of all, it's most likely it's like plus or minus five wins, which is a huge amount. It's, right. you know, it like the Dodgers, it projects them with a huge margin of victory in that division. But so does everybody else. Yeah. And they're probably right. going to do that. Um, and if you look at like their the graphs that they have up for um, the likelihood, 
the Cubs are like almost as good as the Reds. The, their like, graphs are like yeah. neck and neck. In fact, there's a little bit of a, a higher ceiling on the Cubs one than mm-hmm. the Reds projection. And, and they kind of had like two humps, like kind of two really highly little weird outcomes, which is weird. But and, anyway, and, that was a cool ad. Yep. And um, as Harry also pointed out, the the Reds are the most likely to win, but they're well under fifty percent to win um, by. Mm-hmm. By leaps and bounds, everybody is like twenty percent to win. That's that's kind of where it sits, which seems about right. It's a super competitive division. Um, it will be probably decided by random injuries and luck and whatnot. So, um, and I do think the Brewers are kind of on the bottom end of that tier. Um, they they certainly got worse from last year, and um, we'll talk about the rule changes in a minute. That's not going to help <laughs> them compared to other teams. So. Yeah, Cardinals maybe aren't quite as good as they were. Um, Cubs are exactly the same as they were for the most part, which is right. good. I mean, they almost held it off. They, they collapsed at the end last year, but for the most part, they were a very good team. I think that's pretty pretty dead on. And, sure. And the Brewers are right there with them. Like, that projection um, with just error margin, they can totally still be in this race. Right. I think you had the point on Twitter earlier in the week that, you know, that those four teams kind of clumped together in five or six wins is just like a giant shrug emoji. Yep. Like, eh. Anything could happen. We're not sure. It's going to be, it's gonna be one of these. Not not Pittsburgh, but one of these. Yeah, other ones. all we know is the Pirates suck. Yeah. That's it. Uh, <laughs> Brad, I guess, do you have any uh, other reactions kind of based off the Pakota thing? Is that kind of how you expected it to be? Or um, any any room for optimism on your part? Yeah, I mean, it's right where I expected it to be. When you're... The Brewers are obviously making a gamble that they hope works out. You look at how they're structuring their entire offseason based on one-year player contracts with an option. So that <laughs> way, oh, it doesn't go good, then we can keep them around. Yep. Cool. What a great experience. Uh, and when you are trying to do something like that, no projection system is going to look favorably on you. It just is not because it's a big gamble. It's something that hasn't been really implemented before based just what we're looking on so no like i don't think that any system is going to really have room to say like oh yeah if this all goes right in the 50 percentile 87 wins so i mean the room for optimism is it's going to be a very tricky roster that is going to depend on a lot of things going right and craig council being a good manager we can rely on one of those things the other is people <laughs> staying healthy and actually performing uh, based on career norms versus what they've done recently. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, something else to consider, you guys mentioned it just a little while ago. We now have all of those rule changes in the majors that are now official, you know, 26 man roster, only 13 of those can be pitchers, three batter minimum, which kind of makes Alex Claudio a little useless. You know, pitchers have to stay in the minor for minors for 15 days now after being optioned, which kind of throws a wrench in the whole pitcher shuttling thing. So, you know, a lot of those rule changers obviously have big effects on the Brewers, and it leads one of our new patrons from the other week, Tim Braun, to ask, is it just me, or does it seem like these roster rule changes are largely focused at negatively impacting the way the Brewers have done things? The Brewers don't seem like a team MLB should care about like this. Brad, are the Brewers getting screwed by the league? Yeah, it seems like it's a team that the MLB shouldn't care about like this until they put out a fake starter on one of the most watched games in the year. And all of a sudden, you know, you're uh, 
using deceitful tactics to try to change the game and then you after facing one batter that game you now three batter minimum um and other rules to really uh seem to hamper how the brewers do things i don't think the brewers are alone in how they've been doing things i think it's just obviously fan perspective and this is what we see the most so we know the brewers are extremely good at bouncing pitchers back and forth and trying to take advantage of that and then you know a couple years ago we had the rule change to the 10-day option now it's back up to 15 just for pitchers because teams are starting to take advantage of that and that's one definitely that's not just the brewers right um But the things that seem weird are the ones where it's happens to go right after the Brewers did all of what they did in terms of managing their pitching in the NLCS, uh, where they're putting out false starters, where they're uh, making a lot of aggressive pitching changes to try to keep things going in their momentum. So that that seems a little weird, Uh, but I think it's just fan perspective more than anything else. Uh, where we feel like, hey, we were doing good with these things. How dare you target us? But, you know, Rays were using starters before we were, um, and they were using starters to maybe get through a couple hitters versus actually going the whole inning and then bringing in the true starting pitcher. So I think it's more of just fan perception and how we feel it is attacking us. And then Rob Manfred's deep misunderstanding of what's going to speed up the game. (laughs) I think that's a lot of this, uh, especially yeah. uh, the September roster rules. I, uh, it's not so right. the Brewers are good at just pushing rules to the limit, but I don't think anything specifically targeted at them. I think it's more like they don't want every team to be doing this because it, it's one right. thing having the Brewers make you know ten pitching changes a game. It's another thing when you have the whole league as as a unit making twenty pitching changes a game all through the month of September. Like right. that legitimately does slow the game down and, and make it a little weird. So I, I get that one. Right. Uh, it does make some sense. Um I I mean, yes, he's he's bad at, at trying to speed up the game. He doesn't really understand how this whole thing works. But uh that that the main thing is the Brewers are just smart about exploiting whatever they can and right. whenever they see anything that you know, ticks their boxes for, oh, this is slow, this is boring, we, we're going to get rid of it. So, the- Well, it's so funny, though, to look at, like, the difference in that. <laughs> like, 2011 Brewers, ah, the Cardinals made too many pitching changes because they have all 40 men up from their <laughs> roster, and now this year we're like, oh, we can only bring up 28 men? Uh, what the hell? Yeah, yep. And only 14 pitchers on those September rosters, yep, too, that's I should it. mention, it's a cap. too. So, um, you know, I like you guys said, the Brewers are smart. They've found a way to, let's say, test the limits of the rules over the past few years in the Stearns era. I'm sure they're going to try to find something that works this September, too. But, you know, kind of to Paul's point, it's hard to look at the Brewers over the past two or three years and see those 20 win Septembers and not figure that somebody else is going to jump. It's a copycat league like the NFL, right? So somebody's going to look at that and be like, okay, well, we're going to do that. Um, And, you know, I think. Sorry, Paul. Go no, ahead. Okay. We, we did it also. We had a, the Brewers are smart enough to exploit the results of the rule changes too. That's the thing. Like we, exactly. we haven't we haven't thought all the way through this yet. We actually had a we had a patron ask a question a while ago. Um, doesn't this make platoon players more valuable? If it makes platoon pitchers less valuable, um, and there's the three batter minimum, that's right. And Boom. you can see that in the Brewers roster construction. Like that's, exactly. That was a good correction of me who didn't like all their platoon players. But, <laughs> all right, fair point. That and actually now, makes a lot of sense. And now the Brewers are platooning 
five or whatever different yeah if, if you have another team with an alex claudio that they bring in and you've got a bench stacked with both sides of the plate on platoon players you can pound that guy with righties for two batters after that so right and i think teams are gonna try to figure ways around this right like maybe you see a pitcher come out to for one batter to start an inning and then you get your alex claudio in or something like that too you know because that's timing is everything yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, obviously it's going to be tougher to do in a National League environment where the pitcher might have to hit, that kind of thing. But, you know, teams are going to figure out ways to to get around this. It's just unfortunate that it happens to be, you know, the small market brewers trying to find a way to make it work, but they're smart. They'll find ways su- to stretch the rules. James, are you suggesting that we're going to see a lot more players going on the DL so you can ignore the limits on when a player can be optioned yeah. and brought back up. <laughs> I, how dare you insult the integrity of major league front offices like you that? Know? How dare you? And then conveniently, you know, inter- injured list stints are back up to 15 days now. So it appears yes. they've kind of thought that they've through. They've thought about it. Yeah, yeah, but you can still make it work when you're working yeah, with exactly. those shuttle players like the Brewers run off of. Like, it's still easy to manipulate that to an extent. Um, but yeah, it is harder to overcome. But maybe concussion lists will be a little bit more popular than they've been in the past. <laughs> That's still a thing, for sure. Um, so yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how these play out. Um, especially, I think they're actually going to start uh, testing or at least using the three-batter minimum later this spring once you know rosters kind of get pared down um, and you kind of get more of your actual pitching staffs together. Um, and speaking of that, full squad workouts actually begin... Uh, this week, as you listen to this, the position players will start reporting. Uh, before you know it, we'll be playing games. So uh, another Patreon question from Jay Google. He wants to know who we want or hope makes the biggest leap in spring training this year. Uh, Paul, why don't you take this sure, one first? first. Uh, I, so he's had, a, he's had a rough go of it so far, but I really want Corey Ray to work out. Um, j- just because... Uh, I've mentioned this before. Like Keston Hira, he was the best college bat available when he was drafted. And those guys almost always work out. Um, not 100% of the time, but it's very consistent. Um, it, it, he is one of their best like pedigreed prospects. He's been on top lists. He's fallen off of them. And their system's so bad, they need somebody like him, a previous high draft pick who has not worked out, to take a leap. So I'll be paying close attention to him. I do think they've kind of mucked with his swing a little bit down there. And uh, I think if they kind of let him go back to what he was doing and take a little more natural approach to it, that he could still... He he could both um, get himself back on track, and if he does that, be up pretty quickly. He's been in the minors a while. Um, sure. It's, it, when you're, you're a college guy, you're not that far away in the first place. So um, he's a guy who, if he can get himself turned around and righted relatively quickly, he could make a major league impact pretty quickly too. So I, I'm watching him. I, I hope he can turn it around. And he spent most of the offseason in Arizona, a huge chunk of it. Yeah. Uh, you can watch a lot of the videos that he posts of him working out, and you can see them targeting areas of his swim for her swing for weaknesses. Uh, a big area of focus this offseason was on his hips, which you could always see were kind of lagging behind the rest of his mechanics, which leaves you really open to uh, inside heat because um, it's hard to get around to. So if you know, working on strengthening those weaknesses in his mechanics can help him become a little bit better. And now a healthy season can help him really be 
more dominant at the plate like what we saw when he was at louisville yeah i think we're going to get her like he is definitely the talented enough where he can turn around i don't think he's ever going to be top five pick amazing ever again but a good major league contributor that's still in there yep sure the brewers just need him to be good enough to trade him for a reliever at the trade deadline this year right (laughs) right they they need that they don't really have that piece and you know it feels like a non-going tradition. So hopefully he can take that leap and then be traded. Well, that's Tristan or Peyton Henry, you know, Peyton Henry, if Mario Feliciano continues his progression as a catcher, um, you have that then flexibility at catcher. So (laughs) there will be room. There always is. Yep. Sure. Um, But my hope. Yeah. Who do you have, Brad? uh, If you watched him at all in winter ball this year, uh, Freddie Peralta. If those changes, yeah, if those changes are real yep. and he does start throwing his off-speed uh, pitches, which are pretty good more often and not throwing 98% fastballs, then, yeah, he can be really good, mm-hmm. especially in the pen. Um, but I, I would like to see him can work as a starter again just because those... 15 strikeout games are so fun to watch. They give you so much hope for who he is. Uh, I want him to be that. I want him to be little Pedro. Um, He just, if you watched it and you saw him, you know, his velocities up, his breaking pitches look better. uh, His changeup looks okay. Uh, He's exciting. And he's someone who I think is more likely to break out than Corbin Burns because yeah, Freddie Peralta's had bumps in the road too, but they haven't been quite as devastating as yeah. 1,000 home runs right. in a single game off your fastball. And we've seen the high end for Freddie, right? Like we've seen him put in those performances, whether it's, you know, striking out 13 guys in his debut or going head to head with Luis Castillo. Like he's actually done it. We don't have to dream on it. We've actually seen it. Right. Um, right. Whereas Corbin, you know, you're, you're still kind of dreaming on stretching out what you saw in the, that stretch in the bullpen. And also what you've seen in the minors. So. Right. We've never seen Corbin do it in major leagues in the rotation. Yep. So that's what I think becomes harder to make him the bet on resurgence. Although if both of those guys hit, then suddenly this, the, oh, yeah, the rotation you... looks a lot better. Well, right? That's what they that's were on last year, right? Yeah. They were they, right. They were like, "Well, we didn't sign anyone because we have Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns, and Corbin Burns did good." going two innings at a time and Freddie Peralta struck out a thousand people and it, it will be great. Right. But uh, it was like when we bet on Yanni, oh, Giovanni Gairo and Manny, pa- Manny Para. Yep. God. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's high, highly volatile right. and it will blow up in your face 90% of the time. <laughs> yes, yeah. it will. It at least seems like they've got kind of, that's the backup plan now as opposed to the plan, right? Like they kind of added, enough depth where you don't need those two to actually be good yeah i think they're in the back of their minds counting on freddie to be a good to dominant relief pitcher and if he can make it as a starter then that's like plan i don't know zero like that right that's great if that happens right i'm I'm gonna go a little off topic but still within the same universe real quick who's the rotation guy who scares you guys the most that's a great question Hmm. because for me i can answer this pretty quickly and Go this is it. more of a history than an analytics. Okay. But Adrian Hauser seems like that classic Brewers player who comes up, 
performs, you know, like Taylor Youngman. Oh, he came up in August and September and performed so well and so amazingly. And you were like, oh, finally, he can make the rotation. He can make a difference. Adrian Hauser comes up and he pitches so well in the back end of the rotation for, you know, since July. And he just seems like that typical player who's going to blow up and all of a sudden ruin all your plans because, oh, that third spot, fourth spot was slotted in so perfectly from this guy who had history last year. And he's just going to be a 5-5 ERA. I think he is better than most of the players who have been bet on in that situation in the past. Sure. But just that history of knowing like what the Brewers have gone through when taking a gamble on a guy like that uh and making him a pretty important part of the rotation that for me just makes me concerned <laughs> yeah i guess that's fair like you know we talked about all the pakota pro- projections and the the guys that we think could do better but you know obviously there's going to be the the guys that do worse than they're projected too i just can't believe you invoked taylor youngman when talking about adrian hauser <laughs> that's just harsh i oh, was hoping yeah. more for like you know, early career Jimmy Nelson, where you saw the flashes, but it was still kind of rough. As I, opposed I like to... I like Hauser. I like his peripherals. I'm I'm scared just because of lack of track record, but I actually kind of sure. like him in the rotation. I wanted him up earlier last year. I was like, that that guy looks like he can actually be a starter. Uh, sure. Right. I, I liked him since getting acquired, and when he was on the fast track bef- prior to his Tommy John surgery, yeah, uh, he really looked. Um, like he could be a surprising quality get because at that point you're also looking at Josh rotation, Josh Hader who has right. his walk issues and isn't elite reliever yet. Um, so he was kind of the guy I was looking at as like, wow, he could be like the big standout. I mean, he has the really, really good fastball um, and his changeups. All right. Uh, the breaking pitch and the curveball leaves a little to be desired, but he, he's just one of those guys where, yeah, I've always believed in the stuff, but it just seems like it's one of those fun toys that's going to break any second. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more worried about the the journeyman retread. So Brett Anderson yeah. is my answer. Um, just sometimes they work out. Yeah. Um, often, thought... often they don't. Um, being protected in the Brewers, you know, not three times to the order is helpful for every single person who comes through here. But sure. I, don't, I don't know. It seems like those guys kind of blow up sooner rather than later a lot of the time and he's fine he seems like a good candidate but i I don't have a lot of confidence in him being that good Uh, i like newer high upside guys better so and and those contact yeah Yeah. sorry i thought we agreed that brett anderson was the opening day sacrifice (laughs) <laughs> he might be, but isn't that that's another reason to not trust him? <laughs> yeah, no, you just throw him out. He gets shelled on opening day, and it's yeah, fine. And then July. you cut him. You just cut. It's worth it. All three million. It's worth it. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm with you, Paul. I think just Brett Anderson could be Wade Miley esque, maybe, but maybe. also just like probably those, not. <laughs> probably not. You know, we're talking about probabilities, right? Like the vast majority of probabilities are he's not going to be that good, and. Anytime you have that much contact with the infield, the Brewers are thinking about trotting out there. It's a, <laughs> it could get interesting it's in a hurry. Rough. Uh, yeah, um, you, you're hoping for maybe a lot of a five inning, eleven hit, two earned run kind of games. <laughs> like, uh, like he's I gonna have to get himself with, out of a lot of trouble. I think the thing with Brett Anderson is, you know, his success is so tightly correlated to him having a very well managed season. And you know how Craig and 
family can take care of that. So he's going to be the guy who probably gets skipped when they can skip a starter um, or, you know, has the shortest outings because they're going to be watching him tight more tightly than the others for that, you know, shaky portion of his game coming out. So I, I think with Brett, I'm probably less worried because I think his flaws are so well documented and so well known that you can manage around them a little bit more tightly than someone who you're trusting his talent is going to be more of a, a play and benefit in Adrian Hauser. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think getting back to Jay's original point on on biggest leaps, you know me, I'm an optimist. I don't like to try to put this negative energy out in the world for Brett Anderson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, I, I think my biggest hope or the one I'm looking at, especially with Luis Urias out, is Orlando Arcia, man. Like, you've got to, at some point, do something. He's I can't hope so anymore. Many, he's can't gotten hope so anymore. many chances. Maybe uh, the fifth time's the charm. Can't fall off the uh, floor. But, like, he's going to get yet another chance to kind of prove that, you know, he he's not totally worthless with the bat. Hopefully, you know, he's still only, what, 25? Like, that's crazy. Um but, you know, especially with Urias saying he wants to be back by opening day, which seems optimistic at best to me, given his injury. Yeah. Um, I think RC is going to get a chance to kind of prove that he can actually stick and at least hit well enough to be that utility guy if or when Urias comes back. Um, also, Omar Narvaez, I kind of want to see how, you know, we're, we're talking cliche spring training storylines one of it is so and so working on defense right so the first day Omar Narvaez shows up was the puff piece on how he's gonna go through the regimen on framing and all of that stuff yep. and learn how to be a framer in three weeks I don't I don't know how well <laughs> it's gonna go but you know that's one of those two where if if even there's a slight improvement maybe things aren't as shaky as they seem can Arcia really get worse either like I feel like I mean, there's nowhere to nowhere down to go. Um, I so, mean, he could be more historically bad. There's I, <laughs> always that, but like, I guess I I don't think I know we ragged on his defense quite a bit this off season. I don't think it's that bad. Um, I I think he oh. can and will be better there, which will add some more value. I guess then that becomes is his WRC plus really sixty. Can it be 40? I mean, we saw Eric Sogard hit like 38 for his WRC plus. So I guess it can get worse, but we'll see. That's another one. That might be my position player answer to your question, Brad, on who are you most worried about? Because if Eric Sogard goes back to the sub 40 WRC plus, that's <laughs> third base is a, a crater then not even just a black hole right i'm shockingly optimistic about jed jericho for being the guy who was like ew when he first signed sure i guess looking at his injury and his history i was like oh he probably won't be too bad fine i don't know (laughs) it just it seems more like a you know the one random year the brewers had mark reynolds that kind of like feels like that (laughs) signing to me like he'll hit 20 home runs while hitting 225 god i wish we had mark reynolds that'd be awesome I just imagine Tony Graffinino out there now. He's good. Oh, I would boy. also rather have Tony Graffinino. Bring me either of those two players. I would much rather have either of them than Jed Jericho. Wes Helms. Let's let's play this. Who? No, I want him on the, the random. 
Okay, what Wes other Holmes random needs to be on a different team to hit a home run? Casey McGahee. Casey McGee. There we go. Oh man, that's. I forget why I was looking at Casey McGee's B ref page earlier this week. Because he was okay with the Marlins after, and you just want to relive it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think it was like kind of looking back at all that decade in review stuff. It was like, who was the best third baseman season? Which, you know, those all decade teams, it's kind of, it shows you how depressing third base has been for the Brewers for, you know, forever when Aramis Ramirez was kind of the popular pick for the best Brewers third baseman of the decade. And he was here for what, two and a half years? Yeah. Travis Shaw is going to fix it. (laughs) He is not. I, the he's gonna is, hit 25 home runs in toronto this is all this is all because Corey koski got his concussions that's the, the, everything went everything downhill, went downhill which was bill hall's fault mind you because <laughs> bill hall's chasing him and then he slips falls yeah. drops the ball and then bill hall catches it it was all because bill hall's juju to steal the moment yeah it's it was an inside job bill hall wanted to take it <laughs> that's my conspiracy corner of the day bill hall ruined Corey koski's career to get a starting spot at third base <laughs> And work his way over to center field. <laughs> uh, we're kind of off the rails today, but this is great. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, we have another Patreon question we can get to real quick. Uh, Darren Jones is asking, uh, kind of on the topic of what I was talking about, which of the Brewers offseason free agent signings do you expect to have the biggest impact in 2020? Uh, no, if you want to go this way, who will have the hard, highest war out of all of those? Uh, Paul, you want to take yeah. a shot at this first? I'll go first. Uh, um, I like Garcia, which is probably the obvious answer. He's a long-established veteran. He's a very, very good hitter. Um, and it, even kind of like good, great arm, um, should play right field, not left field, but whatever. Um, and easy to play defense in Miller Park for the most part in the outfield, especially with Kane next to you. Um, he should rake. He should add good power back into the lineup and um like pretty good signing uh kind of along the lines of i would say bustakis in terms of reliable value so um narvaya is probably a, a second level pick there but i still hate his defense so much i can't really commit to him um completely and he's gonna lose time to pina in the platoon um garcia will uh, switch with braun and whatnot too and mm-hmm. lose a little bit there but um i, I like him to be pretty good so i'll, I'll go with him yeah, I I think Garcia is the easy uh, pick. You look at like everything that his peripherals really say about him, and he has superstar potential in there. Uh, but he's had that for four years; it hasn't come out. So, but we know he's at least good. Yep. Uh, but just so we don't layer up on the same guy, okay. I'm gonna go with the extremely hopeful Jed Jerko. Okay. Uh, there we go. Uh, just to be hopeful. Um, I think, you know, when you're looking at a at his history, he is not a superstar by any means, but I think they're just signing him in the hopes that now that he's healed from his injury, he can be someone who's reliable in an offense that has potential superstars built through it in Yelich Hira. Kane, if he comes back to form, which I am very hopeful that he, I believe he'll take a step up, but I don't think we'll see 2018 Kane but I, I don't really believe as long as he's not playing through injury the entire season again, that he'll be the hitter he was last season either. Um, so Jerko is the one I think being healthy, he just needs to be reliable. And I think if you look at everything, but last season for Jed Jerko, he's proven he can be the the same guy repeated. And for the most part, that nets you a positive outcome. 
And I think with Jerko too, I think it's important to remember he was he was playing hurt for a lot of last year too. Um, yeah. It was, I think what back and Ank- shoulder issue or it was back like and- back and shoulder, and then he got traded, and then it was ankle. I think. Right. Yeah. He he got shipped to the Dodgers <laughs> and barely played at all. Getting, it was just getting more and more confident. Year. Yeah. Yeah. That's on. uh, those are good entries. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, back that's backs great. all the yeah. time. No, we're. I'm surprised nobody mentioned uh, the smoke monster. You know. Uh, especially if, you know, dropping that much weight for us. He's a... terrible. <laughs> he, he's fine because, you know, the thing about Smoke is, you know, he has been the same player sure. for so long. You know exactly what you get. Okay. He's predictably like, below average. That is not, he is bad. You're, <laughs> That's you're why I'm not, he's bad. But, I mean, did the Brewers really have an option, a left-handed option that was better than it? Oh, oh, I can't sure. think of one. Uh, who could they have gotten <laughs> nah, nah. to do that instead Only of under, Smoke? And nah. if, I mean, they didn't have the flexibility because they were going to go back to the number that they had for last year's salaries. And, wait, that didn't happen either. <laughs> no. Oh, no. darn. It's, it's fine. And then he signed I, for a million less than Smoke, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That that entire situation just played out looking it's, not great. Yeah. Uh, Official stance I, of the podcast is it's dumb they don't have Eric Thames on the team. <laughs> yeah. It is <laughs> dumb because Eric Thames is the second most fun player on the team behind Brent Suter. Sure. Uh, and but I think the thing with Justin Smoke is, like I said, I, I do like that you always know what you're going to get. I don't think he's quite as useless as Paul's saying when, again, you're looking at, I think everyone that they, they traded for players they want to be impact replacements when you're replacing, yes, Monty Grundle. You don't really need to replace Moose offensively in my mind because, no. yes, he was a, a good offensive hitter, but he wasn't great. So you just need to fill in those extreme negatives that the lineup had last season with guys who were okay. Um, Justin Smoke is okay. Jed Jerko can be okay. Eric Sogard is not going to be, and he terrifies, he's not going to be the player he was last season. And it terrifies me. And I don't get why we're betting on him for the platoon side, the major platoon side of third base, but okay, whatever. Yeah. I'm game. He's fun. Um, Garcia, you know, replaces, moose and what you get offensive production from narvaez is obviously as we've talked about before the closest offensive candidate who was available to replace yasmani grandal so they just went from hey if we don't have all these giant negatives dragging us down and travis shaw orlando arcia um other guys i'm <laughs> struggling to remember who was all bad last year then there were a lot it's to be fair yeah then we're going to be a 90 win team we think because then we don't have the this weight bringing us down so we get a guy like justin smoke and we know exactly what he does you know jed jerko he's cheap and if the injury caused his fluke last season and he's healthy we know exactly what he does because they repeat their seasons over and over and over again so that's i think what the big bet is on when you're looking at that plus the advantage in the current system favoring platoon players as we talked about before sure raise the floor play the platoons i I don't know i just i'm i'm more interested in paul's just disdain for justin smoke it's like he's jimmy (laughs) graham over there for some reason but like say everything brad did except replace it with this is how we know he's going to drag you down and this is why we know he's (laughs) going to he's going to be one of those guys like is he going to be He's not going to be Jesus Aguilar. He's going to be better in terms of the weighted per, uh, 
weighted positive he brings to the team. Is he? Yeah. He's... <laughs> I mean, I think I think what Brad's getting at is you're hoping that he's not just like reduced to a singles hitter like Aguilar was last year, I you suppose. know? But like well, he, he's not, he, yeah, he's gonna hit two twenty. Yeah, two twenty yeah, sucks. It, but it you does. look at it's bad. And you look, but you look at 760 OPS and it's better than 500 OPS. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. And also, <laughs> I don't think he's going to be. Play- I think Braun's actually going to end up getting more time there than we all expect because I think the advantage is going to be playing Gar- um, Garcia more. Yeah, Garcia more in the outfield because he's the better offensive player and you want your best offensive team on the field. Yeah, sure. they're only going to let Braun play 120 to 130 games or yeah, Braun's body is only going to let him play 120 to 130 games. One way he'll get to that number. Yeah. But I think the hope is that Smoke is going to be reliable in terms of taking advantage of the platoons yeah. and that Braun and Garcia together make up for the whole all together and you know exactly what you have in a one war first baseman. He's been better the last, since 2017, which is good because it's recent times now, but he was <laughs> uh, atrociously horrible every season before that. So, um, sure. He, so hopefully he keeps playing like he was playing because before there that, we go. There's lots mild of... compliments for Justin Smoke sure. from Paul. That's that's yeah. We'll we'll go with that. <laughs> we'll get him there. All for him to be right come May. A couple six hundred OPS is in there. Yeah, when he's DFA'd by June, he'll be sitting here like I knew it was bad. I don't know, you know. Stupid Brad and his positivity. Yeah. It's his age 33 but season. We're really hoping on Ryan Healy. <laughs> oh my. God. I'm worried about I that. Just... Worried about that position kind of a lot, to be honest. I really wish Thames was still on the team. <laughs> I, I think their belief is if anyone's going to come and be a Gio Gonzalez, they can probably find a first baseman to come in and be the Gio Gonzalez of like role player to fix the bad. Uh, but yeah, it, it is frustrating though. I, I completely get your sentiment, Paul, when you're looking at like, we know exactly what Eric Thames can do and it's good. Yes. And then they're like, ah, see you later. Go sign for four and a half million and we'll pay this guy five and a half million, which would have been exactly what you'd gotten after we opted out of your contract and then signed you to four and a half million. Um, I, I know the counter is you, know, you can find a first baseman anywhere, but on the, on the other side of that, we haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah. So. The one that did, did find they let walk away. Yes. And yeah, I think the thing with Thames though, is that this is just pure conjecture, but I think he was just hurt so often that it was hard to rely on him, you know? I don't know if Justin Smoke is the uh, paragon of durability <laughs> either, but you know, like, uh, I think I think maybe that had a role in moving on with Thames or whether it's that or cutting down strikeouts or whatever. But you know, either so way. we all agree we're on team bring back Chris Carter. Ah oh, man, <laughs> I'm bummed he never got a shot. Like forty well, home run season, than deal Avers with the uh, New York Yankees. Yeah. Yep. He, that didn't work. What out, a weird yeah. player. That yeah. Was, He's man, the one who started really like came in and like hits 40 home runs. And then is the uh, example for, oh, teams don't believe there's value in first base anymore. Right. Exactly. No, it's I think I'm with you guys as far as the the positive, though. I think Garcia is probably the one to go um, as far as, you know, being the most valuable addition out of that group um just when you factor in offense and defense and you know i think he's gonna play almost 
probably pretty regularly as Christian Yelich, actually, because that you know you, you hear the talk already early in camp with Lorenzo Cain maybe getting more maintenance days, kind of Ryan Braun style too. Um, you know, I don't know if you risk putting Garcia in center on those days, or you have Yelich play a little. I think you can get by, you know. I think here or there with that, but don't they stick Gamble out there once in a while? In probably too. Yeah, like Gamble would probably be the center fielder in those cases. I think you, you know, you you pick and choose those moments where yeah. you can kind of punt defense a little bit. Um, but I think he's going to end up playing a ton. I think Kane plays a little bit less, but maybe more effectively. Um, I'm still not sold on how much Ryan Braun plays at first base, just because it didn't work out so well the last time. But you know, things happen. So, I don't know. It it I I tend to be more optimistic though. <laughs> so, you know, I'm like Omar Narvaez is hitting 25 home runs, Justin Smoke's going to hit 20. We're great. They're going to hit home runs okay. everywhere and lefty give up park, 10 runs Paul. I know it yeah. is. It totally is Lefty Park. Lefty's rule Miller Park. <laughs> lefty yeah. fixes everything. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. The Brewers have always fixed everybody and no one none of their experiments have gone wrong in the Stearns so. era. Right. Exactly. Not yeah, everything is perfect. Yeah, not one. Um, <laughs> you know, every, other than basically every bullpen signing, which probably doesn't speak well for David Phelps. <laughs> but every bullpen signing, just that. most of them. Neftali Feliz, all of uh, those. Yes. Um, <laughs> but remember how well Jonathan Scope worked out. Sure, yeah. I saw that um, there was this theory on Twitter earlier this week on – you know, ways to make the game more exciting for Rob Manfred. And one of them was uh, institute a mole, mole at the trade yeah. deadline every year. Oh, yeah. Use the mole. <laughs> and I think we found Jonathan Scope is definitely the mole. That Absolutely. Year, the mole. Designed to ruin the chances. Um, no, I, it, you know, I'm, I'm kind of optimistic on this group. Not, I still think they finished in like third place and out of the playoffs. But, you know, this offseason that qualifies as optimistic for this team, I think. Um, well, they can fix it all. Sign Wilmer Flores to play first base. Uh, didn't he just sign with uh, the Giants or something? I, Did he? I don't yeah. know. I stopped caring about free agents I, when all the good ones were gone. And it wasn't July. Look, January 25th. It's all when all the brewers do the big things. You guys hold on. The brewers are going to do something big at the end of January. Anyway, but all the free agents yeah. are gone. No, they're going to be doing something big. Shut up, you negative Nancy. And then I did nothing. Um, yeah. it. You know. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's Wilmer Flores as uh, destined to be a brewer at some point, yes. I think. Um, so that kind of wraps up all the Patreon questions this, uh, this week. Uh, we do want to give a shout out to one of our new patrons. It looks like Jason Gekin is our is our new patron uh, this this go around. So thank you, Jason, for you know sticking with us and signing up. Um, you know and. As we mentioned, you can join Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash tailgate. Patrons at our ball and glove level will get that monthly minor league extra with Brad. You also get question priority every week, and we can talk ad nauseum and kind of go off on a tangent. But, you know, it's all good. <laughs> and we appreciate those questions. We appreciate your support. Even if you're not a patron, though, you can still send us questions via Twitter at tailgate in an email to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com, or you can do it on our Milwaukee's Tailgate Podcast Network Facebook page. Um, so lots of ways to send us questions, and I think as as we get into things here, we're going to get a lot more, um, especially as we get players reporting. 
Um, if you haven't already, too, please do subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, anywhere else you can listen to our podcasts. And while you're there, please do leave us a review and help other people find the podcast. Um, in the meantime, guys, this is fun. Thanks for joining in. And we'll see what other idiotic ideas Rob Manfred has for the league in the coming week. They'll be plentiful. Indeed, they will. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. And thank you to all of you for listening. And look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. <laughs> <laughs>